As our study leader Dave Wurtson introduces our discussion on temptation, I want you to know that Dave is confident of Jesus Christ's present rule in the heavens and of his victory over the lying serpent. But he is also committed to understanding exactly why the scripture cautions us against any arrogance about our personal struggle with Satan. Dave uses the illustration of a marine poised for battle, trained, equipped, confident of victory, but is the right attitude on the eve of conflict to shout, bring the enemy on? Tough call. Let's join Dave and see if we can figure out together why our Savior taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. This night as the Marine prays on the desert sands, he remembers his wife back home in Texas, and he remembers his two little kids. And I think he would pray, Dear Lord, help the diplomats to be able to solve this problem honorably. Lord, deliver us from this time of intense testing. You say, well, why would a Marine pray like that? I mean, he's prepared. I mean, that's what he's trained for. Obviously, I would expect him to be praying, Lord, I just pray that we can get into this battle, and I'm yearning for the fight. If you can think about the dynamics of the prayer, I'm a soldier prepared to fight. I know and I'm confident that I can have victory because I have the right equipment, I have the right training, I know that I can win, but I'm not pridefully yearning for the point of conflict. If you understand the tension of that soldier's prayer on the edge of the battlefield, you can begin to enter in to what we're going to be talking about as we come to the end of Lord Teach Us to Pray. The Lord Jesus in his sixth petition, the Lord's Prayer, told us and he taught us that we should pray like this. Heavenly Daddy, lead us not into that point, that point of warfare, that point of intense testing, lead us not into temptation. Now let's think about that. What are some of the warfare? What are some of the crises? What are some of the tests that we go through? Well, I believe that our, our message this morning is very, very strategic. It's so strategic that we pray. Because I believe that Satan is very unhappy about what's happening. Satan is unhappy about the family spirit. He's unhappy that in an age when the nuclear family is breaking down, some of you are finding an extended family. You're finding brothers and sisters that maybe you never had. You're finding an opportunity to really get into the reality of Jesus. Satan hates that, and so he attacks. Some of you have walked into that physician's office, and he's run some tests, and then a few days later, the physician's called you in, and he has that look on his face that all of us dread, and those words that just scare the life out of every one of us, the word comes, there's a malignancy. And that word has come not just to one of our church family, but several of you that have fought the battle. It's people just like you right here and it's a test an incredibly difficult test we move from some of the physical tests that we have what about some of the business tests some of you have worked for your companies for many many years years maybe 15 years and more and one day you walked in maybe in an afternoon and your boss looked at you and said I wish I never had to say this I wish I never had to come to this point 
but business is really in the pits and we just can't carry your salary anymore. You're terminated for your job. And so you walk out into the world of the unemployed. You know, you've invested years of your life and all that training and, and maybe a lot of experience and suddenly you're in the world of the unemployed and sometimes you feel like all the friends that you had, quote, quote, where are they? Where are they in your loneliness? It's hard to lose your job. And so we have that kind of intense pressure, that kind of intense testing, physical pressure, economic pressure. There's also the pressure some of you as, as young people have come and know Christ as your Savior and you become excited about the youth group. So there at school you begin to really stand up for Christ and you go public for Jesus Christ. You come out of the closet, you might say, and you go public about this Jesus Christ thing. And it's not just a religion, not just a cultural thing on Sunday morning, but you start really, really talking about this and sharing about Christ in your everyday life. And some of the kids at school start razzing you about that. And it's tough when you're a teenager and your friends start ridiculing you. And that's part of the test. That's the kind of a thing that believers have faced down through the years. Persecution, testing, ridicule, mocking. And sometimes the words can hurt more than even physical blows. And there can be subtle little things that happen not just in school, like in the high school or junior high school, but in your job. There can be subtle things that happen because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. He's saying that all of us can pray today. Lord, lead us not into a time of testing. The first thing we want to deal with as we begin to focus on what's the meaning of this prayer, we want to ask ourselves, what does it mean? What does it mean to really pray, Heavenly Daddy, don't lead us into that time of testing? What's involved in that? We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus' modeling of that in his Gethsemane prayer. But then we want to deal with a real crux, a real difficult one, one that can really cast doubts about our faith. What happens when we pray and we ask the Heavenly Daddy not to lead us into a time of testing and we face a time of testing anyway? And you go through a test that you could never imagine it could be that tough. You could never imagine it could be that severe. And everything within you cries out, maybe there isn't a good God. Maybe there isn't a loving God. Maybe there isn't a God who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Maybe it's just nothing. Maybe it's just a chance thing. Maybe this world is just a mistake. Because I feel like it. Because I'm tired and I'm pressured. And all the circumstances say that God is bad. We're going to talk about that. What do you do when you cry out to your heavenly daddy and you ask him to deliver us from testing? What happens when he says no? And he sends you, he leads you into that time of testing. What do you do then? But let's begin with honest, humble, human about suffering. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 26. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. One of the great things about the Lord Jesus' life is unlike some of our teachers, our heavenly Lord Jesus became the earthly Christ. He didn't just stay up there at the right hand of God, but he became a man like all of us. He became a human being, and he knows where we're at. And what the Lord Jesus does for us, it tells us in the book of Hebrews that if you're undergoing a test, if you're facing a crisis, if you are agonizing and praying, Lord, lead me not into this time of testing, 
because you can see it coming. The Lord Jesus has faced that kind of a situation more intensely and more powerfully than any of us could ever imagine. In Matthew chapter 26, you know the test that the Lord Jesus was getting ready to face. It's the test of Calvary. It was the ultimate test. One of the, one of the biggest problems that we face is the fear of death. And Jesus Christ knew more than any other human being because none of us really know for sure when the hour of death is going to come. Jesus knew exactly the hour of death. And as he was poised in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could look, because he was also God, he could look into the future and that he knew in just a few hours that he would face the most severe test, the most all-overpowering test, the most difficult circumstances that Satan could ever throw at a man was going to be hurled at Christ. You know, it's one thing for a pastor teacher that's never been into suffering, never spent much time in the hospital, never had much problems physically. It's one thing for someone that's healthy, that hasn't faced that kind of circumstance, to walk into a hospital room and say, Jesus will comfort you, Jesus will meet your need. But it's quite another thing when someone comes into the room that can sit down by your bedside and say, listen, I've been right where you are. I've experienced right what you're experiencing. I know what you're going through. There's a tremendous camaraderie that develops among people that are sharing that experience. And Jesus is that kind of a helper. He's that kind of a healer. He's that kind of a savior. And in Matthew chapter 26, as we open the pages of Matthew, turn over there to Matthew 26, and let's begin reading with verse 36. We have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a picture that you know well. You've all seen it in some of the life of Christ that, you have, uh, that you've seen on TV, Jesus of Nazareth or something like that. But I want you to look at it maybe from a little bit different perspective today. And let's go there to the garden, and it begins like this. Jesus then went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took his close associates. Remember, Jesus had 12 close friends. Then he had three very, very close friends. And then he had his closest friend, which was John the Apostle. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be Peter, James, and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Those are very strong words. He began to agonize. He began to have a grief that was one of the most in intense experiences that you can ever have. And then he said to them, he said to his close friends, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me and pray. The very first thing I want you to notice about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he was open and honest about suffering, about grief, with his friends. The very first point I want you to realize about this prayer that we pray to our Heavenly Daddy, that Jesus is getting ready to pray to his Father, he says to his friends, first of all, I want you to gather around me, and I want you to watch with me, and I want you to pray with me, and I am sorrowing to the point of death. Now, there's a lot of Christianity around these days that is telling us, oh, I'm so happy in Jesus. I'm so happy, and here's the reason why. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. 
Mickey Holiday wrote, Happy am I, Jesus is mine forever. And Mickey came to our house one day and I said, Hey, Mickey, you're the one that wrote Happy am I. He said, I hate that song. I said, what do you mean you hate that song? And man, he was all nervous and really distraught. He had just gone through a very severe test. And his whole family had blown apart. And the happy am I part of Christianity from his Bible school days kind of slithered away. And Mickey had to go through a long period of crisis trying to find his song again. You see, it's one thing to talk about a Christianity that's always up, that's always happy, that says we're always going to be prosperous. There's some of you that the Lord is really blessing. You're healthy, you're relatively wealthy, you're doing pretty good, and you're fulfilled in your life. And the life has those kind of times. There is time to sing. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. But there's also the time to face the reality that I am really hurting. And I think one of the greatest realities, one of the greatest truths that Jesus Christ taught us is that we don't have to pretend. So many religions and so many religious people are pretending. They're afraid to really live out reality. They're afraid somehow it will discredit their faith. I'm so thankful I can begin by talking to you about lead us not in the time of testing, telling you about a Lord Jesus who when he was here on earth had three close friends. And he said, buddies, I am sorrowing to the point of death. See, what we would say is, no, don't talk like that. You're the son of God. You need to be happy. You need to be full of joy. You need to be full of hilarious excitement. Don't talk to us about the fact that you're hurting. You see, Jesus was open and honest about his suffering, about his pain. You see, there's going to be times in life. I want to tell you something that will really help you if you realize this. There are going to be some times in your life when you're higher and you're more excited and you're more happy than you can ever imagine. And you need to relish those times. And, and they're foretastes of eternity. But you know, on this planet called Earth, where we live in the midst of satanic territory, we live in the midst of a rebellious planet, in this war that we're facing, there's going to be times when you're intensely afraid. And there's going to be times when you intensely hurt. And one of the greatest problems among believers today is that they feel if they open up about their pain, if they open up in honesty about the tremendous hurts and the fear that they have inside, they feel that their whole Christianity will be discredited and somehow they feel it will kind of evaporate. Praise God it won't. The Lord Jesus called you into a life of openness and integrity and honesty. It's the evil one that tells you when you are anticipating a time of testing, when you can see it ahead, there's a powerful human tendency that pulls us into aloneness. If you are hurting this morning, there's a tremendous desire in your heart to get away. You want to get alone. You don't want people to see you like that. And that's one of Satan's biggest tricks. It's one of Satan's most horrible deceptions. The very time when you need a few close friends that you can really open up with, that can handle, I'm hurting. And they won't try to say, oh, no, don't say that. Everything's going to be fine. They're not some of those surface people. They're the kind of people that will hug you and they will say, we'll hurt with you. We'll get through this together. That's what the family of believers should be. And the Lord's beginning to do some of that. 
If the Son of God could say to his friends, I am sorrowing to the point of death, then so can we. You know what a lot of us would do at this point? We'd say, well, Lord, we'll give you a Valium tonight and you'll be all right. You won't sorrow to the point of death. And that's what's wrong with a lot of our lives. One of the things as Americans is that we don't want to have any pain. We don't want to have any pain. We hurt just a little tiny bit, so we pop two aspirins to take away the little bit of pain. And we can go through all of our life trying to escape from pain. And I want to share with you something, brothers and sisters. That's a very unrealistic way to live. You can hurt emotionally so bad that you think you're going to die, and you won't. Jesus did not die in Gethsemane. And he didn't take any pills for it. He agonized. If somebody came to my office and they were agonizing to the point of death, now I'm not saying that we should never take medications. Because we need to balance this with Proverbs, says give some wine to the one that's truly suffering. King Lemuel's mother taught him that. And there's a place of medical, skillful medication of somebody when they need it. But this morning I want to balance that because we are a a pill-popping, pain-escaping society. And it will hurt us very, very much if we're not willing to fully experience the pain. Because you can't fully experience the joy if you're always taking pills that make you mellow. Now, there are times in counseling where someone is so low where you can't reach them. And they're low because of physical factors sometimes. And it's very important for them to take the right medications. And I've encouraged that through the years. But I want you to be very careful. I want you to be very careful about taking pills that make you not face legitimate pain and hurt. The Lord Jesus cried to his friends and says, I am suffering, guys. I am hurting. And we're going to face those times. King David, back in the Psalms, Many, many of the Psalms is King David pouring out his heart in agony. Let me give you a very strong reality of how this works. In our society, when you bury somebody, like when we have a funeral, many times someone will tell me, I'm so afraid I'm going to break down. I am so afraid I'm going to come unglued. I want to be sure that I can get through the thing sedately. That is horrible. You don't go through funerals sedately. If you were good Hebrew children, you would get emotional at a funeral. You might weep and wail. You see, in our society, if somebody really weeps and wails, we have a tendency to go back and go, boy, look at those people carrying on. Can't believe that they're like that. Because you're supposed to at a funeral to be able to go through and just be calm and debonair and in control. That's sick. So you know what we do? We stall it all. Sometimes we take some medication so we can get through it. So we don't have to really cry. Well, death is a stinker. It's a horrible, murderous enemy called so by the word of God. And it is worth really crying over. Because the son of God cried harder than any of us will ever cry over death. His own death and the death that sin brought into the world. And Jesus cried. And we need to learn to cry. 
And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a tremendous release that in times of agony, that we would be able to let the agony out. And one of the greatest places to do it is together with believers. And you can hug and you can cry and you can let all out, let all that pressure out. Our society teaches us to be like this. The Jewish culture is very expressive. And Jesus was Jewish. And in this context, he's being very expressive. He's crying out. And he was open and honest with his friends about the pain. How about you? You feel you can be open and honest about your pain? Or do you want to just get all alone? You know, a lot of you cry alone. That's sad. It's good that you cry. But there's something really lonely about crying all alone. It's much better to cry in someone's arms. It's much better to cry with some friends. That's what good counselors are for sometimes. They're people that are very warm and sympathetic. And if they're believers, they can be people that are very Christ-like. They create an atmosphere where somebody can cry together with somebody. Open and honest with your friends about the agony. We talk about the horizontal relationship. Open and honest with our friends. What about with God? Look how Jesus goes on in praise. He was not only open and honest with his friends, but he was also open and honest with his heavenly daddy. Look what he goes on to say. You know the prayer well. It says, going a little bit further, verse 39, going a little bit further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. He said, my father, my daddy, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, this is one of the most intriguing and this prayer is really bothersome because the Holy Scripture teaches in Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us that this plan of redemption that Jesus is getting ready to put into effect, it was planned by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the eternity past. It's already determined. They wrote the script. Jesus wrote the script of Calvary. He wrote the script of the resurrection. And here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, I think I might have changed my mind. He says, Heavenly Daddy, don't you have another plan? Let's switch to plan B. Let's go a little bit easier route. I'm not sure Calvary was such a great idea. Now that's really bothersome to some very rational, rigid Calvinists. It wouldn't have bothered John Calvin very much. He wasn't nearly as rational and rigid as those who followed his school of thought. But in those that really believe strongly in sovereignty, sometimes they want to they suck all the humanness out of Christ. And so I even talked with a man one day and says, no, that really, Jesus really wasn't doing that. I said, well, what was he doing? Well, I never really got a clear answer to that. But one of the things that I really appreciate in the Gospels is that Jesus was not only the personal God, but he was also the personal man. And I want to share something with you. If you know for sure that you're going to die in a few hours, you're not going to want to go through with it. You're going to be scared to death. So would I. It's going to just suck the life out of us. And if there was somebody that could deliver us, one of the most honest human prayers would be, Lord, deliver us from this time of testing. And that's the way Jesus wants us to pray. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to say, Lord, I know I can handle any situation you throw against us. And I know that I'm strong. In the power of the Spirit, we will prevail. 
There's churches. There's churches that are meeting this morning that that's the whole thing. You know, we're going to do battle with Satan today and we're going to conquer him in the name of Jesus. And if everybody believes, we're going to have total victory. Amen, amen, right? Where have you taught? Lord, if there's another way, let's go that way. I don't want to go through with this. Where are you taught that kind of openness, that kind of honesty? In the Holy Scriptures where the truth is. And oh, how I praise the Lord that the Lord says, David, when you talk to your heavenly daddy, tell him the truth that's on your heart. Tell him what you really feel like. You don't have to pray right theology. You don't have to impress him with your Dallas Seminary doctor degree and make sure all the I's are pointed and all the T's are crossed. When you talk to your heavenly daddy, you don't have to be a theologian. Just be a person. And that's what the Son of God was doing. You see, the Lord Jesus, because he was fully man, was showing us how you get through the crisis. He was showing us that if you're a human being and you're going to face death and you're facing an intense time of testing, there are going to be tremendous, powerful emotions inside of you. And one of the worst fears that Jesus was going to face was the reality that he knew when he took the sins of the world upon him, there would be a separation from the Father. And that's a separation which none of you will ever have to have if you believed in the Son of God. You see, Jesus faced the worst suffering imaginable because God will never break his relationship with us. But I don't understand it. But somehow, some way in the, in the plan of eternity, Jesus took our sin upon him and the Father turned his back on the Son as he became sin for us. And that was the agony, the agony of a broken relationship. And that's a relationship with God that will never be broken for us. So we can rejoice in the midst of our sorrowing, knowing that our leader, the one that we're following, has already faced the brunt the worst artillery that the enemy can ever send against us, it's already been cleared away. So we can come in behind him and follow his example, open and honest with our Heavenly Father about the trial that we don't want to face. If it be possible, Father, let's go another way. You see, Jesus was honest in his prayer. And one of the things I would pray that we would learn as a result of studying the Lord's Prayer together, that we learn to really start praying honestly. I'd like you to start to really think about the emotional integrity of your prayers.